Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. We help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Be sure to check out our episodes. We cover a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. And be sure to subscribe on your favorite syndication network so fresh content is delivered to you every time we release a new episode, which is very often. So today, we're going to go to something that is one of my perennial passion points, conversion rate optimization. There are so many theories out there about conversion rate optimization. I remember a couple years ago, I was doing a consultation with one of my business consulting clients, and they asked me, what is that one answer to increasing my conversion rates? And they said, you know, I've already paid 13 people to tell me what the one answer is to increasing your conversion rates, and they all say that I've got to experiment and test, and I've got to look at my own business and things like that, but I'm looking for that one person just to give me the magic. And I said to them, you know what? I'm going to be that 14th person to tell you the same thing. You want to keep going? And they actually did because they wanted to get my insights on this. And for that reason, because this is such a vital topic to business creators everywhere, I'm so excited to have with us today a gentleman named John McDonald. And I've been looking forward to interviewing him for a long time. He's somebody who's very popular. We're very blessed to be able to get him to hop on the Business Creators Radio Show for just a little bit here. And I'll tell you about him. John McDonald is the founder and president of The Good a conversion rate optimization firm that helps brands convert more of their existing website traffic into buyers. The Good has unlocked results with some of the largest online brands, including Adobe, Nike, Xerox, The Economist, and more. John regularly contributes content on conversion optimization to publications like Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. He knows how to get visitors and take action, get visitors to take action even. So, John, the weather's fine. Come on in. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting today. All right. So I shared people the, with people the first part of your very impressive bio, which to me is so luminary. I'm not even sure I'm worried to be in this conversation with you. And this is my show. So what we'd like to do here is <laughs> take a step back before we get into all the great stuff you're going to share with us today. And I know that you have a lot to share with us. And tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure. Well, look, the good started about 10 years ago now, and I started it more as an e-commerce development shop. So uh, we help brands to launch or redesign their e-com sites. What I found was that that was quickly becoming a commodity, right? There's so many great e-commerce platforms that are software as a service. So you have, you know, Shopify, big commerce and, etc. that it really doesn't take a whole team to launch an e-commerce site anymore. And what I found, I went around the country, I interviewed all of our customers, and I said, you know, why did you choose to work with the good? What did you like about us? And they all said is that we required them to do three months of optimization after we launched their site. And it was just part of our engagements. And I originally included that 
for two reasons. One was I wanted to set the proper expectation that upon the launch of an e-commerce site, it's never going to be 100% perfect. It just isn't, no matter how good of a development team you have. And I wanted clients to understand that it would require a few months of optimization after we launched. So I included that in the contract. Well, I also knew that unless these customers were continuing to optimize their site, they were really gonna follow the philosophy that 99% of e-commerce sites out there follow, which I like to call launch and leave. They would launch their websites and then they pretty much leave them alone. And uh-huh. you know they might refresh the products, et cetera, right? But they're not optimizing guilty. the website. They're not guilty, 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 guilty. Yes. Exactly. So it, it, I look at it and I say, okay, well, this is really not the optimal path to having a successful e-commerce site. So I made sure to bake that in as well for that reason. So after we, I realized that look e-commerce development is becoming a commodity. It's not really where I want to have a thriving business and where I can really compete because there's always somebody who's going to do it for less than, let's face it, most e-commerce site owners don't look at their site code. They don't care as long as it works, right? And so the quality of code was becoming less and less of a, a, a differentiating point. So really what I said was, okay, well, I talked to all our customers. They all said optimization was the way that they really decided to work with us. So that must be our differentiating point. Let's really focus on that. And now this was well before conversion rate optimization was really even an industry. It was, you know, really wasn't a term that people were using. In fact, when we first started doing this, we didn't call it conversion rate optimization because nobody knew what that was. We called it continual optimization. And so looking at it in that way, here we are. Uh, we're in our 10th year of business now, and uh, we've helped hundreds and hundreds of sites to optimize their conversion rates and, and truly have more empathy for the consumers visiting their website and using that empathy to help make the Internet a better place. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And years ago, I used to own a website development firm, and I noticed one trend that really stood out. The longer they fussed over what needed to happen to make their website perfect for launch, the less likely they were to ever make a dime off it and would ever hear from them again. Because what would happen is folks would burn out all their energy, all their money, all their brilliance, all their passion, just getting the damn thing ready to the point where you switch to DNS and you announce the world that it was live. And they just kind of tuckered out. They didn't really have anything left, either financially or emotional bandwidth-wise or or passion, to promote the thing, to find out what's really going to sell. On the converse, I noticed that the clients who not only were – intent on their website getting launched quickly, but would be the one to, anytime you had a question, they would answer that question thoroughly. Anytime you needed to hop on the phone for five minutes to go over something, they were right there because they wanted that thing live. They were on the edge of their seat. They would be sending emails on Sunday afternoon saying, hey, I know the site's not live yet. Is there anything else you need? I really want to get this live. Now, receiving that message, on the one hand, you're thinking, oh, come on, people. Give it a rest. Go for a hike. It's Sunday. But on the other hand, these are the people who tend to succeed because they had their brilliance and their passion in the right place, which was actually making a difference with their website. Whether that difference was they wanted to have a large, profitable business, 
whether they wanted to have a huge cash flow, whether they wanted to have lots of customers, whether they wanted to do something that gave back to the world, or some combination of all these things. And there's another thing, John, I'll tell you, and I share this in my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, and I've also shared it many times when I've spoken from stages, is I'll get to a point in my presentation, no matter what the topic is. I'll make work this into just about every presentation, as long as there are business creators in the audience. Where I'll say, folks, you know, the last thing that you need or want in your business, in fact, if you have this in your business, get rid of it because it's not serving you. It's traffic to your website. And people would lean in like, what? Did you just say the earth is flat? Did I hear something about you don't need traffic to your website? Say, correct, you don't need traffic to your website. Because let's look at those terms, traffic and website. And I'm going somewhere with this. You'll see in just a second. When you think of traffic, you think of our infrastructure in pretty much whatever country you're in because of the explosion in population, how many more people have cars, and how much more industry and commerce there is just pretty much around the world. No matter what roadway you're getting onto at 7.30 in the morning to be at the office at 8 o'clock, that roadway was not designed to handle nearly the amount of traffic that's trying to force its way onto it. So when you move that consideration to a website, you think of you're forcing a lot of traffic onto the website. You get numbers, you get a lot of people hitting it, lots of clicks, big graph changes in Google Analytics, what have you. But these people may be headed to a place where they don't know where they're going, they don't really care where they're going, and they may not even be looking forward to the trip because they have an awareness of the destination. It's not really a place that they want to be, but for some reason they feel they need to be. And if that's the impression your website's giving, you already have an issue. Now let's look at website. What is a website? Is that an about page, a webinar registration page, a sales page, a product page, an about page, contact page, bio page, team page, media page, podcast page, privacy policy, terms and conditions? A website can be any one of those things, and all of those things can be in a website. So forget about traffic to your website. You don't need it. Get rid of it. What you're looking for instead are visitors to your web pages because you're going to take them to a web page, a landing page, a specialized page that's going to move them directly into the action you want them to take. Even if that action is read the blog post and comment on it, whatever it is, you want them to do something while they're there. And when they get to that, you want them to be pre-qualified, right message, right people, right time, prepped, they know what they're getting as soon as they click on that link in that social share or that email, and pumped, which means hopefully you do have that clean code and your page is going to load quickly so they can get it real fast. So by simply renaming what everybody's doing and actually does need, we give them a new framework through which to look through it. And I bring that story up, John, because since we're discussing conversion rate optimization, we're looking to get more people to convert, to do what you want them to do. Because if I have 500,000 traffic to my website and one of them takes action, that's not doing much for me. But if I have 500 visitors who are pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped, who are going directly to my offer to my thing I want them to do, and 50 of them doing it, or doing it, I just realized 50 to 1 return on investment. Very simple numbers, very big numbers. So what we'd like to do now is get your definition of conversion rate optimization, if you could tell us what that means to you. Sure. You know, conversion rate optimization is really focused around two things that consumers are looking to do on your site, and only these two things. 
And I think this plays well off of your definition, which which I love, by the way. That's a great analogy. Thank you. But consumers are really only looking to first understand if your site or the page that they're on can help solve their pain or their need, right? So that when they clicked yep. on that ad or they were sent there by a, a blog post they read that had a link in it or whatever, they came with some intention to your site of what they thought they were going to see. And they thought that was going to help them solve their pain or their need. And so the first thing they're trying to do is understand, can that page or that site help them do those two things? The second thing is, once they have understood that you can help them, they want to convert as quickly and easily as possible. Now, I can't tell you how many sites I see on a daily basis. And the first thing is I load up the site. I have no idea what the heck they even sell or what they're right. doing. And it, it's just, it, it's really the first thing you need to be thinking about is, you know, making sure the customer's oriented and they know what you sell and what you're, what they're doing at your site very, very quickly. You know, that seems basic, right? Like every website should be, you know, a storefront that people know what they're coming in for. But it, it just blows my mind how many times I don't see that. And then, you know, once they get them in and, and you have those visitors who truly are there to and ready to convert, how many times that is made to be very, very difficult to do. And you're just not helping grease the wheels of pushing them down the funnel. Instead, you're doing things like sending them off-site to Instagram, where they're lost in a black hole forever now. Or I can't tell you the number of times I see links to social stuff on a site that, that sends them off-site. Or, you know, maybe sends them even to blog articles, you know, from, from that landing page or product detail page when you're really, all you're doing there is serving to push people back up the funnel instead of down. Right. It. So thinking about these things from a consumer angle is what is really conversion optimization. It is a couple of different things. One is it needs to be data backed, right? Everything you're optimizing around needs to be based on the clicks and movements of your specific sites visitors. And that's really important because so many brands, I like to say that the, the brand owners have a really hard time reading the label from inside the jar, right? They have yeah. built that site. Like you said, they were nagging that developer to get the site up. Let me know if you need anything. I, I, you know, They're feeding them all the content. They're helping organize the product taxonomy and the navigation. The problem with that is, is that they know their product, right? And so think about it as a new to file customer who's first time on your website, what are they thinking? What are they seeing? Think about it through their lens. And so if you're able to track what your specific site's visitors are doing, you're going to have a much better outcome, right? And so data backed is the first thing. You're not guessing. You're making decisions based on the actions of your site's visitors. The second thing is it needs to be iterative, right? Conversion rate optimization is not a one-time thing and you're done. Look, everybody listening today can double their conversion rate right now. Just severely discount your products. Just make them a penny. I guarantee you, you'll convert, right? But that's not conversion optimization. Right. This needs to be really a process of continually looking at how people are using your website, making small changes, and then looking for that compounding effect of those changes over time, right? That's the only sustainable way to do conversion optimization. 
Now, what I mean that by that is think about it like a um, in the U.S., a 401k or a retirement account, right? Every paycheck, you're putting a little bit into that account, and you're looking for that compounding growth over time that where you're going to have a lot of money by the time you retire. It's the same thing with conversion optimization. Now, I'm not saying this is going to take 30, 40 years, right? But if you're looking for those overnight wins, you're likely only going to hurt yourself in the long run. Right. I think that's, I think there's something to that. And you, you brought up a couple things that I could not believe that I had to educate people on to this day that when I'm doing consulting work that I still catch and have to advise people on. And it's just the little things when it has to do with social media, for instance. Let me give you one. Uh, you mentioned that websites will have, and let's just say the upper right-hand corner, they'll have the links to the, to the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, the Instagram, the LinkedIn, everything that's associated with that business. Okay, all well and good. So the question we need to ask is, why do they need to go there? And even simpler than that, and I still see so many websites make this Bush League error, is they have those links to their social media, but they open in the same browser tab, which means as soon as somebody clicks on that social link, they're off your website. There's not a separate tab open where your website's still open. They're off the website. And I cannot believe in 2019 we still have to have this conversation, but sadly we do. So if, you're, if I have a website and I'm kicking somebody off my website, they can go see my pictures of my cats on my Instagram. What's that doing to help grow my business? Or if, they're, if we're moving them from a conversation where I have them into a funnel and I have them on a sales page and I'm moving them towards a buying decision, they say, oh, squirrel, let me go see what he says on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, I'm sharing my latest podcast episodes and my latest informative article and a share of something that's interesting to me and a couple likes and comments I put on other people's profiles. Hey, what's that doing to bring me money? Because there's a time for people to be on my LinkedIn. And if they're on my LinkedIn, that means they should be heading toward my site, not away from it. And it's just these right, little exactly. things that we look at. Social media is important, but we have to look at what direction is the visitor heading in. Now, I'm about to ask you a question. This is another one of those great debates that still goes on to this day, even in the era of mobile compatibility and less is more, is uh, I'm just going to lay it out for you because you're in the game of conversion rate optimization. And I would love to hear your answer on this. Long sales letters or short sales letters, which are better? It's <laughs> uh, old question, right? Here, yes. Here's my answer. Do both and track what your site's visitors are doing. Now, the best way to track that is a scroll map. Go for $9 okay. a month, sign up for something called Hotjar, H-O-T-J-A-R. Yep. It will let you to see how far down the page people are scrolling. We have seen both work. Now, again, we've been doing this over 10 years, and really both we've had competitors where we've done both. And one worked for a competitor and the other worked for the other. Now, Here's the thing. It really is all about the intent of that consumer when they get to your site. How much do they know about you already? How much do they know about what you're selling already? And do they just want to get the job done? Or are they in education mode? And so it, I would say that it really matters more where that traffic is coming from. And then, of course, how much are they actually engaging? right? Because they may not be engaging with all that content in the large letter. 
and then it's kind of pointless to have all of that. You're just blocking the path, if you will. Right. See, I feel almost like you read my diary in this. Uh, your, your words are a little bit different, but some of the undercurrents are exactly the same. I've jumped into these discussions on social media where people start a thread, and it usually starts with, oh, God, I hate these stupid long sale letters. Why can't they just say what it is and how much it costs? And I sometimes tempt fate by jumping in to give my thoughts on it. Because what I don't know is whether the person in the, who started the, the thread and the people who are in the thread are actually looking to answer the question, or they just want to gripe about what they've been programmed to believe they're supposed to gripe about. And reading long sales letters, for whatever reason, is one of those things that socially people have been programmed to believe is, in many cases, bad, because it's always a bunch of salesy techniques and, and slick NLP stuff and all this, that, and the other thing. My answer to that question, and uh, this may sound similar to what you said with different words, is it depends. So we look at the customer avatar. And who is this avatar? Is this the type of avatar that really just wants to do business? They don't need to have a lot of information or just ready to make a buying decision? Or is this somebody who needs to explore more, who needs to go through their feelings, and in some cases have the feelings about their feelings that will lead them to the buying decision that's going to work in your favor? So look at the behaviors of the avatar that you're you're attempting to reach. They're, and even with client work, I've had clients where I've had to go through five different calls and all kinds of persuasion and everything else to get them to sign on the dotted line. And I've had prospects who I got two sentences into it and they said, look, I already know this about you. I've already looked you up. You've been recommended to me. I already know all that, everything you're about to say, because I have these things called the telephone and the Internet where I've already done that homework for myself. I'm here. I'm ready to do business. If you need to ask me a few questions or you want to spend 10 minutes getting to know me, that's fine. But I don't need to hear your pitch. Let's just do business. Mm -hmm. Two different types of customers, both of which can be a great customer. Yeah. Well, I'm a a huge proponent in believing that, that brands should propel as much as they attract. Right? Yeah. You should really tell people if they're not a right fit immediately. And so if you don't get to the meat of that, you are going to upset that audience who, who might be ready to buy or is just looking to make that decision. So repelling as much as you attract is extremely important. Very, very important. The other thing I was about to say is, and this has been my experience with it, is look at where that prospect is within your funnel. This is somebody who's been on your list for a while, who's already been on your blog, who's already been on your social media, who maybe you've already chatted back and forth with. This is somebody who is probably a lot closer to a buying decision. They may not need as much information. They already have a a sense of know, like, and trust with you. They just need to know how to get it. Whereas somebody who is visiting your webpage for the first time because they saw one of your ads or it's it's an affiliate referral and they clicked on a link that's somebody sent their email to that list they happen to be on, they don't know you. They don't really know your brand. They don't know your offering. They don't know what you're about. That type of viewer, that type of visitor may need a longer sales letter because they need to go through that process of getting to know you and where you're coming from as part of their decision-making process. So it really just comes down to is where are they and do you know them? This may be translated into cold traffic versus warm traffic. We want to use terminology within the industry. A cold traffic, I would think, and you may have different thoughts on this. As a general rule, there are always exceptions, 
is going to need more to make that decision because they're cold. They need to be warmed up. Somebody who's already hot and bothered and ready to, ready to go, they don't need all that because they've already been through it. They just need to know where that buy button is and how soon they can have it. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. I think that you know, understanding who your ideal customer profile is and what stage of the buying cycle they're at, serving up that appropriate content at those appropriate times, you will increase your conversion rates overnight. It, it is a no-brainer. Yeah. Right. All right. So uh, we uh, have the opportunity here. I have a couple questions from folks who heard you're going to be on Business Creators Radio Show, want to get a few topics in. And uh, the first one is, and this is something that I'm curious about as well, because listeners to the Business Creators Radio Show know that I'm not only the host, but I'm also in the front row of the audience with my notepad and my two pens out, taking notes, looking for the slight edge in my business, is here where we are today, John, uh, what role is email marketing playing and what are some of the best practices for email marketing to help conversion rate optimization? Big topic that's under debate. Let's hear from an expert. Great. Well, look, I do think what we see here at The Good is that email as a channel, especially for e-commerce, is going to be the largest revenue driving channel. It should beat out all of your other paid marketing. Now, there are in e-commerce, there are several ways you can tailor your email marketing. Now, of course, there is just the, the normal email marketing that you're doing on a regular basis, just sending out the weekly, monthly specials, things of that sort to stay in, in front of your audience with some relevant content. There's also the post-purchase flow. What happens after somebody converts and how do you get them to convert again and contribute to how other people are going to convert? right? Getting reviews. Whoa. So we call it social proof, right? All of that should be part of your email marketing. I think so many people focus on top of the funnel with email. I just want to get emails and collect emails. Now they miss the more important part, which is once somebody's on your list and you get them to convert, how do you get them to reconvert? And how do you get them to influence what other people are doing to get them to convert, right? That's more important in terms of actual increase in your conversion rate than just getting more people on your list. But how about we break that down, Adam, and we'll start with getting people on the list because right. I have a huge bone to pick, and that's, that's email pop-ups. If there's two things I could eliminate from the Internet, one of them would be email pop-ups. I can tell you right now, they do not convert. What I mean by that is, yes, you will collect email addresses, but they will decrease your overall conversion rate. Now, I hear from every marketer, every time I'm presenting at a conference, everybody says, John, John, but I, I collect so many email addresses. They do work. They, collect, they convert. So, okay, great. Let's break this down. First of all, how are you collecting those people? Are you offering them a steep discount to get on your list? Because the first time anybody does that, a new-to-file customer who's brought in with a discount is forever a discount customer. And in your eyes uh -huh. as a brand, you are forever a discount brand right? That's the first problem. So you should never use discounts for this. And email pop-ups are ripe with discounts. And discounting, going back to the beginning I, I mentioned, is not conversion rate optimization. That's just margin drain. Now, the second thing to be thinking about here, how many people do you watch? And we do, we do user testing, session recordings, all this stuff. So I see these every day. 
How many people do you watch try to fill out an email or have an email pop-up come up and they can't figure out how to close it, so they just put their email address in to, to turn it off and get it out of the way, right? So they're frustrated I mean, with your brand yeah. already. Already, already yeah, because, yeah. because your light box is not properly designed where they could see a prominent X in the upper right-hand mm -hmm. corner. Um, I'm familiar with testing that shows if you want to do a light box, if you do want to pursue that strategy, that you better have a prominent way of closing it, and it better be in the upper right-hand corner when you're dealing with languages that read from left to right, because that's just where the eyes go to look for it, because they're used to the fact that to close out their browser entirely, they're going to go to the upper right-hand corner. So you're going into the programming. So when people have the, you know, the real tiny little link and tiny little gray font at the bottom that says, no, I'm not interested, that's going to piss them off. Or if they yeah. play the game like, let's move the X to the lower left corner, that's also going to really irritate them. And to hear what you're saying here, and I know you're still in the middle of picking this bone, but this is, you know, this is one of my bones here, is when you resort to those little tricks to try and force people onto your list, you're actually treating them like uh, you're rubbing them in the face with sandpaper. If they're not going to opt into your list, they're not going to opt into your list, which is why you also need to have active right. social media. They may choose to engage your social media instead as part of their no like, and trust process. And you need to have a way of continually reattracting people to your web page because that first visit might not be the one that has them at a place where they're ready to be on your list. Just because you have your list doesn't mean they're ready to be on it. And just because they don't opt in the first time doesn't mean they won't opt in the second time. Maybe they're just not ready to take that step with you yet. When you force it, you're basically asking them to marry you on the first date, and uh, that tends to get a pretty hard no, unless you're a, just a complete gangster of love like Calvin Coolidge who managed to get his wife <laughs> to say yes to propose to her on the first date, or Lyndon B. Johnson, another one who, go, who proposed to his wife on the first date, but she didn't say yes right away. Let's remember that, too. <laughs> well, look, I think it, it goes even further. There, there are sites up there who do what we call negative shaming, where they say, no, I don't like discounts. And that's the close uh -huh. button, right? Or no, I don't want free money. It's like, come on, oh. like, that's such a bad brand experience. But I, I always tell consumers or brands, treat your website as if it's a retail store. If you would not do it in your retail store, do not do it online. So here's what I mean. Imagine you're walking into a retail store. And as soon as you get there, an associate pops out with a clipboard and says, sign up for our list. Give me your email. Bye. Whoa. Like, but you, exactly. Bye. I'm going to have a negative reaction. Hopefully yeah. it won't be violent, right? And so it's just, you yeah. start thinking about this. And you, it just, it doesn't make sense to do it online. So I'm a huge proponent of, you know, not doing email pop-ups for, for all of these reasons we've talked about, but even then, if you do get people to sign up for your email, they probably only want that discount, and maybe they signed up because they couldn't figure out how to close it, or you were negative shaming them in some way, so they already felt bad about themselves, so they signed up for it. What's going to happen over time? Think about this. Your email list is now going to have a lower deliverability rate, a lot of people marking you with spam, and maybe people just not opening your emails, right? And that means yep. that over time, it becomes less and less and less effective. So you've taken what should be your highest driving revenue channel, and you've made it worse, by, all by just having the wrong user experience on your website. 
And it just shows you, it's a great example of how impactful and powerful, uh, you know, having user empathy, like what a consumer is thinking and what they're going through and matching that with the proper user experience on your site can be. You know what I, you know what I thought of when you came up with the example of you walk into a retail outlet and immediately as soon as you're not, you're not even all the way through the door. You might even still be in the process of holding the door for the person behind you. And already somebody's <laughs> jumping in front of you with the clipboard. And what I was going through my mind, John, is that person, you saying, uh, no thanks. They say, okay, leave. So right. you, won't give them, you won't give their contact information. And they say, okay, fine, John, leave, go. Yep. And think, exactly. about, think, about, if you, and think about if you are doing the white box thing. I mean, I have somewhat different visions about white boxes. I actually think that there are ways to make them very effective, and I've made them work well for clients of my own. So that's a place where we may not see exactly the same. That doesn't preclude me agreeing with you about some of the points about effective white box design and not doing things that will piss people off. So I'll give, I'll give you another example. In addition to making it hard for them to close the light box if they're not ready to opt in, is if the light box keeps showing up over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. If you're using a good light box software, it should be tagged into your website cookies so that if they close it, it doesn't appear to them again for at least a week. At least a week. And there are studies that say a month. So the idea is you give them a chance to find their way to wanting to be on your list instead of forcing it on them every time they try and look at your content. Yeah, there are really two places those should be, email sign-up forms, that is. One should be baked into your site content where it is helpful for the consumer. So if a consumer is doing their research and they're not ready to buy, they will find out how to sign up for your email list, put it in the footer of every page. Then That's generally where people are going to look. Beyond that, you know, uh, exit intent, I'm okay with an exit intent pop-up or light box. Uh, any other place in the consumer experience is really bad. Exit intent is like, hey, I'm going to leave anyways. I'm not really ready. But, yeah, you know what? Maybe this is actually being helpful. I'll sign up because it will keep me uh, updated on their sales or on what products and promotions they have going on, things of that sort. That is when right. it is helpful for the consumer, and that's really what you should be thinking about here. Right. Now, here's something else, and you raised this point, and I thank you for raising this. Uh, we see, especially with, like, e-commerce retail sites where the opt-in offer will be because, like, what's the jewelry store going to do? Have a report on, like, the, the top ten things to be aware of when buying an engagement ring? I mean, ugh, come on. Seriously? <laughs> I, back, when I, back when I was uh, a conversion consultant going back six to seven years, I worked with a jewelry store, and – we actually helped them build a really good responsive list by having a light box, and the offer was sign up now and get 10% off your first purchase. And I actually counseled them to make the phrase first purchase really big. Then I counseled them to say, have that phrase say, your first purchase today, because we're planting the suggestion that they're actually ready to buy something right now, and this little extra 10% is going to push them over the edge. And we did see an increase in sales, a pretty significant increase in sales, because we said 10% off your first purchase today, key phrase. Now, I've seen with other clients where using too many coupon promotions does create exactly what you described, which is a sense of once a discount, always a discount. Once a bargain, always a bargain. You give somebody a bargain once, 
then they come back to you and they basically expect there to be bargains from them from now on. I dealt with this with one of my current clients uh, where it seemed like that was the conversation happened over and over again because they'd run a coupon promotion for this, they'd run a coupon promotion for that, a coupon promotion for A, B, C, D, and E. And at the time, they were running the coupon promotions because they really, that's really the best thing they had to offer, and the numbers showed that they would get a nice spike in their revenue, all well and good. But the clue was that they also had to do their revenue planning so that several days after the coupon promotion ended, they wouldn't sell a damn thing. They had to expect a desert. So that coupon promotion had to be on point to the point where it would not only cover that entire promotion, cover the desert afterwards, but somehow make it more valuable to do that than if they had just kept selling things at the regular price. Now, that worked for so long, and that client has since moved on to other forms of revenue generation, like whenever they need cash flow, they have other ways they can do revenue events, uh, uh, you know, Facebook challenges that lead to masterminds, uh, relaunching products that have been taken off the shelf and putting them back on the shelf for seven days, other ways you can do it. Uh, but what we also worked on with that client was getting people used to the idea that there are no coupons anymore. And I was very happy when I started to see a lot of feedback from people. Instead of saying, hey, man, can I get a discount on this? The feedback became, I'm ready to buy. I need to find the money. So we saw a shift in the value proposition towards, instead of, I expect you to give me discounts, is, I need to prove myself worthy to you by coming up with the money to invest in you. And mm. the revenues overall went up because there was no need to bargain. And a number of those people who said, I need to come up with the money, if you kept in touch with them, would in fact come up with the money. But the key was keeping in touch right. with them. And this leads to my sub-question here on this is, once you get them on the list, and when we follow, let's say, you know, your proposal which is baking the opt-in, like, say, into a blog post. And there are a lot of plugins that do this if you're using WordPress where you can put an opt-in in line to your blog post for somebody who's reading the post that then wants to take it one step further. That's a great place to get people, by the way. Uh, we've also done studies on that that show that if they're reading the blog post, they have A level of information. And if that blog post is good, we'll get them to B level of information, which is opt-in to download something, which takes it to a higher level. All well and good. So... We're doing what you recommend to get people on the list, uh, qualified, pre-qualified prepped and pumped visitors to your webpage opting into your list. What happens with the email conversation next to optimize our conversion rates? Great question. And I think, you know, from here, it's providing relevant information instead of continuing to send discounts. I think most brands that we initially start working with here at The Good, their email strategy is to send a monthly, here's what's on sale, or here's a discount, always trying to get that and that sale. Uh, well, what's really helpful is to stay in front of the consumers. Really, your email list should just be a way to stay in front, provide some relevant information, a reminder that you exist, because let's be honest, in the, the massive land of e-commerce, it's easy to, for a consumer to forget about you, no matter who you are, right? And oh, yeah. so you just want to stay in front of them. And, at, you know, at that point, get them interested in coming to your site. This is where top of funnel content really works well. Here's some blog articles on something that might be helpful around our products. So think about how consumers are using your products. And, you know, if you're a camping brand, for instance, here's stuff on the top camping sites you should check out. 
Um, you know, something that, that's just content marketing, it works really, really well when it's focused. Now, from there, you do want to have that conversion path, right? So you could right. say, here are the items that are, are low on inventory. You want to act now. There's no sale involved in that. Or here is a package that we put together. What I mean by that is bundling. Bundling can increase your average order value dramatically and help you sell more, all without providing a discount. Now, you are offering a discount by bundling the products, but that's different in the mind of the consumer. They're saving by buying at bulk or at once, right? Same as the Costco philosophy, if you will, right? Correct. So what you're saying here is buy the tent plus the sleeping bag plus this, you know, um, you know, solar light, and all three of these together, you save 20%, right? Now, your average order value yeah. goes way up. You're going to you're going to make more money on the margin anyways, and everybody's happy. Those are things that you should do in your email, not just say, you know, right now we're running a 10% off deal. Um, and I think that's what's really important, you know. And then, you know, you also want to look at after what happens after somebody converts. There's really five emails that should be sent after somebody purchases, right? And I think most brands are lucky if they have one or two of these. The first is you should immediately send them a receipt confirming their order. Here's what you purchased. Here's what you paid. Everything looks good, right? Let us know if there's a problem. The second thing is send them an email letting them know when the product shipped and when they can expect it. Even if it's overnight shipping, it doesn't matter. Just send that email because they're just reassurance. They want to know they're being thought of and taken care of on the shipping side. Then third, you should follow up with an email and that just says, hey, I want to make sure it was received okay. Right, so use the APIs that are available from the shipping companies, and as soon as it's delivered, send that email. Hey, you, we were told by the shipping company it was delivered today. Just want to make sure everything arrived okay. You have any problems? Here's how to get a hold of us. Again, these are all just customer service emails that most brands aren't doing, but they're also ways to stay in front of the consumer in a way that is not marketing. Right. The yeah. third thing, or the the fourth email. I'm sorry is to ask for a review. Pretty simple. Wait a week after it's been delivered, send an email that says, hey, I saw this was delivered. Hope you're enjoying it. If you have any issues or questions, definitely let us know. I would also love to know what you think of the product. Could you click here and leave a review? Pretty simple. But having these reviews, and we call them social proof, is one of the top ways that you can increase conversions. People trust reviews from other consumers way more than they trust the content from a brand. So making sure you have that content on every product detail page is extremely important. And we could do yeah, a whole hour just on reviews. Now, the oh, fifth, yes, the fifth email that, <laughs> the fifth email that should be out there is just to add them to that marketing email list that you have. And, you know, you once they've purchased, adding them on there and then following up with the ways that we've talked about previously. So if you do all five of those, I promise you that your return conversions will go up and your uh, first-time buyer conversions will go up as well. Yeah, I agree with you in, entirely. Uh, a couple other things that I would contribute. We've tested this with clients. We found it works very well. Uh, let's say that your fulfillment is digital. Uh, so they're immediately taken to some kind of protected download or what we're seeing more and more, and I think this is a great thing, is especially when it comes to 
um, information courses or assets that can be taken directly through a browser is you have them set up a username and password in your membership site. We have found that if you want to get more repeat business, there's a simple thing that you do that companies, it's like asking them to do this, it's like asking them to pull their own teeth out without Novocaine. I don't understand why this is so challenging. It's real simple. Not through your autoresponder or some automation, but an actual human being sends a personal email that says, hey, thank, thank you once again. Congratulations on your wise decision to invest in this today. Just wanted to make sure that you got what you're looking for. And uh, to log in to get your stuff now, um, here's the URL for your membership site. Here's your username. Here's your password. And then here's the other key. If you could please reply to this email and simply type, I'm in, so that we know you received this and were able to log in okay. Just that one little touch right there will achieve two things for you. Number one is, actually might, might be three things, depending on how I end up reading this out. Number one, it creates that sense of personal connection. Hi, Mom, we're a rural company with rural people. We care about you. And some human being actually took the time to look at their order personally to make sure that they got what they were promised. Number two, it creates a sense of that personal connection going building on number one with the fact there is a human being there who cares. And number three, it dramatically reduces refund rates for two reasons. Number one, because if they ask for a refund, now they get to face a human being. And it's one thing to face mm -hmm. a technology or an automated message, but now they have to go back to that human being and ask for a refund. So it reduces the chance that people are going to ask for refunds for stupid reasons. They're still going to ask for refunds for good reasons, but they're not going to – there, there, there's going to be an integrity issue on the line for them, so they're actually going to be more willing to actually try your product and try and make it work. The other thing, now to reduce refunds, and I discovered this as one of our clients in particular when they made the switch from physical fulfillment to digital fulfillment, is they would get refunds because people would say, we never got it in the mail. Okay, so if you have a combination of automated and manual messages, that reaffirm that it's a login to a digital site, that there ain't no DVD coming in the mail, now you're taking away the entire argument that they never got it because that DVD never arrived in the mail. And this actually saved, saved that client several thousand dollars because people who, for whatever reason, just didn't pay attention to the emails or were so convinced they were getting a DVD that it didn't matter, would then initiate chargebacks to their merchant provider saying, they never fulfilled their promise. I never got my DVD. And all my client had to do was respond to the chargeback request by saying, well, actually, yeah, we, it's, there is no DVD. It's digital. It says here on the sales page. It says here on the order form. It says here on this page you're supposed to get after they register. I sent them an email that lets them know what their username and password is. I asked them to respond to it. I didn't get a response. I sent them a second email. We ca called them on the phone after three times that they emailed us saying they didn't get it because we thought they weren't getting their emails, here are, the, here are the screenshots of all of it. And that chargeback goes away because the merchant provider says they did fulfill their promises. And Mr. and Ms. Customer, you might want to try checking your email once in a while instead of bothering us with this crap. I think, you know, the same, the same thing really can even apply before they convert. Right. In the sense that think about yeah. this a little bit, that, you know, understanding we call them micro conversions. Right. Yeah. Understanding what are those small things that everybody can do 
that will help understand how to push people further down the funnel, right? So what is the next step that you need them to take? And again, this is when you start tracking every click and movement that people are taking on your site, you'll understand what are the commonalities for those people who do convert. Now, we worked with a major software company, and what we found was that if somebody subscribed to their software online, but then they also downloaded the iOS app to their phone, that they were 98% likely to move past the trial into a paying customer. So if they downloaded the trial on their desktop, and then they also downloaded the mobile app, 98% of those would continue into a paying customer. Now, that is all based on data. So now what do we do? We optimize everything around trying to get those people who signed up for a trial and downloaded it to their desktop to also download the iOS app. That changes every single email that goes out. It changes all the content that, that you're pushing to them within the desktop app. So there's a lot that you could do there that, you know, if once you start tracking that data and have a really good understanding of what are the, we call them micro conversions, what are those small things yeah. that people do that help them keep moving further down the funnel. And so understanding that is just, is, is really paramount. Um, in addition to, like you were talking about, how to, how to get people who have already purchased to continue to be satisfied with your product. Once you, you know, it sounds to me like you, you found that data point and once you realized what was happening, you could fix that online, uh, saves yourself a lot of heartache. Exactly. So, Applying uh, an offline conversion strategy to online conversions, because I think there are so many parallels here, is I have a friend who was in a joint venture with somebody. And uh, part of this joint venture is they were doing group projects, actually in the area of digital marketing, uh, as it turns out. And uh, so my friend and his partner uh, would bid on these projects. And my friend said that one of the things he dreaded most was the conversation with his JV partner about what was going to be in a proposal because his JV partner, after they had put in all the stuff that they had discussed with the client, would start with and, add this, and add this, and add this, and add this, and add this. So they were sending a lot of proposals that ended up not getting accepted. And the most egregious case he told me was one case where the client had told them, or the prospect had told them, that uh, they do not need anybody to implement on their website because they already have a great webmaster who will who is fully on board with the idea of having a consultant on board, is looking forward to learning from them, and will gladly implement anything they ask, no questions, you know. Dream situation if you don't want to be involved in web design work. And so that was a pretty easy one because that was pretty much a consulting and writing gig. And so mm -hmm. my friend's JV partner said, well, let's add in anyway an option for them to pay us to do the work for them. And, uh, and that one case, my friend said, absolutely not, because the client said they don't need it. And if you want to, and if you want to do this, you're on your own with the project. Leave me out of it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just ignore what my client asked for. So after all these proposals kept getting denied, my friend went back to some of those people privately on his own without his JV partner in the conversation. He said, hey, you know, um, you know, leaving, leaving, leaving Stan out of this. We'll just call the JV partner Stan. He said. Leave me stand out of this, just between you and me. And I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna try and get you to reconsider the proposal or anything, because I know we're past that. But if you could just tell me candidly, um, just for me, personally, not for Stan, but for me, why it was that you rejected our proposal, 
what he kept hearing over and over again is that they said, we told you guys what we wanted, and Stan kept trying to add in all these stupid upsells. We didn't have time to read it, or we felt disregarded like they were he was trying to use sales tactics on us. So my point being is, to me, there's nothing wrong with giving people exactly what they ask for without trying to hit them with a hard upsell. Uh, in fact, one of the philosophies behind my tactic of having a human being email somebody who bought a digital product is to show them that they, they could get contacts in that company that weren't all going to be upsells, so that when the upsells do come inevitably, that they know that, yeah, this company is offering me things that are relevant to my previous purchase. They're smart business people. They want to make me aware of this. Maybe I'll buy and maybe I won't. But it's not like but – but I also know that I can speak with these people without them trying to sell me on something, which to me is key to communication because who wants to be hit with the sales pitch every time they speak with someone? Yeah, I, I I would agree completely with you. And I think, you know, it's, you know, conversion optimization to to kind of put a conversion optimization spin on that is that there is, it's really just understanding and having empathy for the consumer. I think I've said that several times today, right? And yeah. when you yeah. aren't listening to what they need and what their goals are, and then help serve those goals through your website or proposal or whatever stage they might be at you are going to lose them. And so many brands have a message that they want to communicate instead of understanding what consumers are at their site to do. And I think that that's really, really important as a takeaway today is to really think about why are consumers at your website? What are they looking to do? And then help serve them and get out of their way, right? Help them do those things and yeah. just get out of their way. Right. Right. You know, what pops into my mind here is um, I famously, and people who follow me know this, um, I have a smartphone, but I won't answer if you call me unless it's a scheduled call or you've already given me a, a glob of money, and I don't text people, and I, I really don't use it for communication at all. But one thing I do use my smartphone for is to play online Texas Hold'em. I love playing online Texas Hold'em. So I downloaded <laughs> an app, and uh, what was great about the app is it let me play, I, I think, 20 hands before it asked me for money. And then when I and, and since then when I run out of chips, uh, it uh, each time it will say, "Hey, this, to top back up and get 125,000 in chips, it's just three dollars and ninety nine cents. Click this button to confirm your purchase." Now, to me, that's a no brainer because I look at it as three dollars and ninety nine cents, and for 125,000 dollars in chips, even if I end up even if the cards suck and I end up having a really bad run here. That's still about an hour and a half worth of entertainment. You're not going to get a better rate for that. So what they right. don't do, and this is what I really appreciate about them, is they don't try and force me into huge packages. They're happy to take my money $4 at a time. Now, $4 here, $4 there, multiply it by the individual user, multiply it by the thousands, ten thousands, hundreds of thousands of users. That's real money. So you're, giving, you're showing empathy. The person just wants to play some cards, and they want to get it done quickly. And they don't want to... They don't want to you know, pay casino rates to play a few hands of Texas Hold'em. Uh, you give them that, and then since you have them in your database, you can come back to them later and send them push notifications or text or emails or what have you, offering them other games you have to offer. Maybe they want to play online roulette. Maybe they want to play online slots. Maybe they want to play online blackjack. So there's other revenue streams that by showing empathy up front and making them feel like you respect them, you increase the chances they're going to want to play other games. 
Yeah, I mean, we do the same thing with our conversion optimization services here at The Good. You know, every conversion optimization firm wants you to spend a boatload of money up front and commit for a really long time to, to uh-huh. spend that cash. All right. And, uh, John, I just want to say this has been a really, really great conversation. Um, I think we've discovered so much today about the value of things like empathy for your audience, of things like understanding the value proposition, and having that willingness to create a user experience and looking at the realities of conversion rate optimization and how we look at it from a long-term perspective. I love our emphasis on continuing return on investment. I love how we look beyond that first opt-in, beyond that first sale, and how we create the human connection. I think that's great. Now, you mentioned to me in the green room that uh, we have a little something for our listeners. So I think you wanted to share something with us. You want to go ahead and do that now? Sure. Well, look, if you are interested in uh, having a landing page assessment done by one of the members here at The Good, uh, just go to thegood.com, T-H-E-G-O-O-D.com, slash L-P-A for landing page assessment, and uh, check out what it's all about. There's a form on there you can fill out, schedule a time to have a landing page on your site assessed for conversion optimization by one of our team members, and we'd be happy to take a look. Awesome. And uh, just for our listeners, I'll tell you a little bit about that page, um, thegood.com forward slash LPA. Is, uh, John has actually helpfully included a couple videos so that you can see how some of the things that he was describing work. Uh, you may recall early in our interview here on Business Creators Radio Show, he described a technology called Hotjar, which allows you to see consumer behavior on your web pages so you can see what they're doing with their mouth, what they're doing with scrolling, so you can get a sense of what's drawing them closer to or further away from the conversion decision. He actually gives you some insights from a real case study on how that works. And to me, there's nothing more valuable than a conversation. So be sure to take John up on that offer. I think you're going to find that it'll be a great conversation. And what's really great about John's philosophy is that he will create an experience for you that I feel, in my own personal opinion, is something that more firms need to do. Uh, he had shared with me earlier about how some firms will want you to lock into a $30,000 commitment. They may not even have that money. And when you see what it's like to work with the good, you're going to see that it's something that really will fit into your comfort zone and help you make that transition from simply getting the web page up and trying to figure everything out up front and then just wonder why it didn't convert to taking a holistic and longer-term approach to building you a truly prosperous business based on optimizing your conversion rate. So, uh, John McDonald of The Good, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, in education. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate the conversation, and I appreciate you having me on the show. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes. Just go to www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming stuff. It's got a breadth and depth of information relevant to business creators just like you. Be sure to subscribe to your favorite syndication network. The links will be there. And stay with us as we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.